welcome back to Sad Girl Study Guides. As always, I'm your host, Amelia, and as always, I'm sad. Because I'm in Chicago in the winter, it is extremely cold, and my radiator is going at it, so you might hear some loud clanging sounds in the background. As always, I will do my best to remove said noises out post-production, but if you hear them, no, I am not being haunted by an angry ghost. In today's study guide, I am going to be wrapping up my look at the Bonapartes and their extended family with someone who isn't quite related to them, but whose life definitely intersects with them, Maximilian I and only of Mexico. You maybe learned about him in high school if your APUSH or AP Euro teacher was like me and loved going on tangents. I mean, I honestly don't know. I don't know your life or the life of any of your high school history teachers. Anyways, Maximilian's study guide involves a love of boats, some questionable paternity, bed bugs, and that whole being emperor of Mexico thing. Let's begin. The man who would one day be Maximilian I of Mexico was born July 6th, 1832 in Schönbrunn Palace, Vienna, the capital of the then Austro-Hungarian Empire. His birth name was Ferdinand Maximilian Joseph, but I'm just going to call him Maximilian, or most likely Max, because that's a lot easier. Maximilian's parents were the Archduke Charles of Austria, who also went by Franz Karl of Austria, and Princess Sophia of Bavaria. Both Charles of Austria and Princess Sophie of Bavaria were extremely close to previous tangent cast subject Napoleon II. In fact, Max's father, Charles, was the second son of Austrian Emperor Francis, which meant that he was Napoleon II's uncle. Max's parents didn't exactly have the world's greatest relationship. In terms of personality, they were pretty unmatched. Sophie of Bavaria was extremely smart and extremely ambitious, while Charles was neither of those things. Still, the two did have six children, although there were rumors swirling throughout the Austrian Habsburg court that Sophie maybe had a relationship with Napoleon II, who she was also technically related to, although in my opinion, that's pretty unlikely because one, we have no hard and fast proof of any sexual relationship between the two, although as we know, that has never stopped me, and two, possibly more importantly, by 1832, when this relationship apparently was going on, Napoleon II was literally dying of tuberculosis, which really makes it unlikely, in my opinion. No matter who Maximilian's actual father was, 
as a child, he was extremely well-educated. And I mean extremely well-educated. Starting when he was around seven years old, Maximilian spent about 30 hours a week in one-on-one tutoring sessions. These one-on-one tutoring sessions increased to about 55 hours a week by the time he was a teenager. That's right, Maximilian was spending more time on his education in one-on-one sessions than most adults spend on a full-time job. That is pretty crazy to think about if you ask me. As a result of this intensive tutoring, Maximilian would learn to speak seven languages fluently. At the same time, he was also super into science, specifically botany and studying butterflies, which meant that within the Austrian court, he did have a bit of a reputation for having his heads in the cloud. He also was really interested in the ocean, which would be important in his later life. Despite all this, he also managed to find the time to be interested in the arts and sports. Maximilian was more than just an uber nerd. He also had a reputation for being extremely friendly, as well as being a bit of a practical joker. He apparently loved playing practical jokes on his uncle, Ferdinand, who at this point in time was the emperor of Austria. No big deal. He also had a reputation for being a bit of a capital R romantic. So the teenage Maximilian was extremely well-rounded. How he managed to find time to sleep, I really don't know. In addition to all of this, as he was growing up, Maximilian was extremely competitive with his older brother, Francis Joseph, better known to history as Franz Joseph. Because Franz Joseph was older and higher up in the line of succession, Maximilian really wanted to prove to the entire family that he was actually better than his brother and shouldn't be the one second in line to the throne, although really there wasn't anything that Maximilian could do about that. In 1848, when Maximilian was 16, revolutions started to break out across Europe, like in France, which launched Napoleon III to power, which we talked about in last week's study guide. These revolutions hit Austria extremely hard. In 1848, Austria was not exactly in the greatest of political situations. Emperor Ferdinand wasn't exactly the greatest leader for a variety of reasons, the biggest one being the fact that he had severe epilepsy, which made everyone convinced that he was mentally deficient, even though he actually was pretty sharp, but everyone became convinced that he couldn't rule, which caused the government to collapse. With Ferdinand out of the picture, next in line to the throne was Maximilian's father, Franz Karl, but he was pretty incompetent in terms of leadership. Maximilian's mother, Sophia of Bavaria, was the definition of a mama bear, and she convinced her husband, 
Franz Karl to abdicate for her oldest son, Franz Joseph. And it worked. In December 1848, Maximilian's big brother became the Emperor of Austria. It was all very exciting, but it emphasized for 16-year-old Maximilian that he was always going to live in his older brother's shadow. As soon as Franz Joseph became Emperor of Austria, he came out very harshly against the revolutionaries. One of the ways he put down the revolutionaries, especially in Vienna, was to whip anyone who was speaking out against his brand new regime, including protesting women, which was very upset to young Maximilian. Because remember, Maximilian is a capital R romantic, which means that he's going to be slightly more sympathetic to the revolution. Part of this is because Maximilian has a very, very strong code of honor and does believe in a little thing called ethics. So we are going to see a minor split between the two brothers. However, the two brothers do manage to reconcile, and two years later, when Maximilian is 18 years old, he officially finishes his education and starts having to do stuff for the Austrian Empire. He begins training with the Austrian Navy. Remember, he loves the ocean, and he loves boats. The next year, when he's 19, Maximilian goes on a grand tour of Europe because he's a wealthy, well-connected young man, and what else is he supposed to do? Well, on this tour, Maximilian is going to act as a diplomat for other branches of the Habsburg family. Once again, he's really going to be focusing on traveling by sea, and he's going to continue to get into boats. Then, in 1853, something happens that completely shakes the family to its core. Franz Joseph almost gets assassinated by a Hungarian tailor who cuts him very deeply in the neck before said tailor is pulled away. In this moment of near assassination, it is the closest that Max ever comes to the throne of Austria because Franz Joseph doesn't actually have a son yet. However, Franz Joseph survives, Maximilian does not get the throne, and Franz Joseph will eventually have a son of his own, Rudolf, so Maximilian never quite makes it all the way up in the line of succession. Rip for Maximilian. In 1854, when he is only 22 years old, Maximilian gets a major promotion. He becomes the commander-in-chief of the Austrian Navy. And the fact that he is so young when he had such an important job kind of reminds me of Jerome Bonaparte getting put in charge of a giant warship at the age of like 18. But unlike Jerome Bonaparte, as it turns out, Maximilian is fairly competent at this job. He's going to work on improving Austrian naval ports, specifically the port at Trieste, and is going to work on strengthening Austria's position in the Mediterranean. Yes, Austria does need to have a stronger position in the Mediterranean for various trade and strategic reasons, but Maximilian's main rationale for doing this is because he likes to read classical literature. 
Good job, Maximilian. Through this gig, he's going to travel a lot, especially through Greece, Egypt, Morocco, and Spain, and talk to a bunch of locals about what's what. During his travels, Maximilian sees naked women for the first time, and he's super awkward about the whole women having bodies thing. But despite this, while he's in Spain, Maximilian writes about how attracted he is to the local women, so clearly the guy contains multitudes. Also, when Maximilian is in Spain, he starts getting really interested in Habsburg family history. Because remember, the Habsburgs used to be one giant family before splitting into the Austrian Habsburgs and the Spanish Habsburgs. Maximilian specifically becomes interested in King Charles V, the member of the Habsburg family who had pushed the Spanish Habsburgs into Mexico. And remember that link. It is definitely going to be important later on. While he is in Spain, Maximilian is going to fall in love with one of his distant cousins, Maria Amelia of Brazil. She also loves him. The two become so close that they are planning on getting married, but then Maria Amelia tragically dies of tuberculosis because that's how everyone dies in the mid-1850s. You either die of tuberculosis or of a very easy-to-treat infection. After Maria Amelia dies, Maximilian briefly falls in love with the daughter of a low-ranking Austrian count, but the family tells Maximilian that absolutely not, he cannot marry her because she is not of a high enough rank to be married to the younger brother of the Emperor of Austria. So Maximilian comes home, he's sad, he mopes around a little bit. Soon after Maximilian returns home, his brother, Emperor Franz Joseph, gets married. Franz Joseph marries Princess Elizabeth of Bavaria, aka Cece, whose story will someday be a study guide of her own. I promise it is beautifully heartbreaking. Two years after Franz Joseph marries Cece, he sends Maximilian off on yet another diplomatic journey. This time, Maximilian goes to France to meet with Napoleon III because Franz Joseph really wants to strengthen the alliance between Austria and France. However, when Max first arrives in France, he does not like Napoleon at all. He feels like Napoleon is a pretender to the French throne and is not acting like a proper emperor because Napoleon III is too small and too unimposing, which, look, Maximilian, Napoleon III did not have any control over his height or physical appearance. Don't be rude. Maximilian also feels like Napoleon III is super coarse, especially when it comes to the way he openly flirts with other women and in terms of his general taste in women, which, fair, Maximilian did have a point there. However, Maximilian really hits it off with Napoleon III's wife, Eugenie, which is fair, as I discussed in the Napoleon III episode. Eugenie was a fascinating woman who really pushed for increased rights for women in France, especially when it came to higher education. 
However, as Maximilian continues his stay in France, he starts to change his opinion of Napoleon III. He quickly becomes impressed with how Napoleon is changing the physical appearance of Paris to make it more modern. Maximilian says that this new Paris might be even more beautiful than Rome, which is basically the highest compliment you can pay a city. He also begins to come around to some of Napoleon III's other ideas. He's super impressed with how organized the French military is and likes how Napoleon III wants to deal with the issue of German unification under the Prussians because German unification could be super harmful to Austria. After his stay in France, Maximilian then goes to Belgium and meets with King Leopold I of Belgium. The creator of the Belgian royal house of Saxe Coburg Gotha, who also happens to be uncle to Queen Victoria of England. King Leopold I is the first king of Belgium because, as we all know, Belgium had only been a country since it had gotten its independence in 1830. While he's in Belgium, Maximilian meets Leopold's 16-year-old daughter, Carlotta, whose full name is a complete mouthful. Marie, Charlotte, Amelie, Augustine, Victoire, Clementine, Leopoldine. Carlotta was Leopold's favorite child and was named for his first wife, Charlotte, the Princess of Wales, who also will probably be a podcast subject someday. Carlotta also happens to be the granddaughter of the ex-king of France, Louis-Philippe. After her mother's death, when she was only 10 in 1850, Carlotta became the public face of the Belgian monarchy and, as a result, was known for being super smart. She spoke four languages and was excellent in math and was also known for being a beauty. Carlotta and Maximilian quickly fell in love. By Christmas 1856, they were exchanging gifts, including diamond jewelry and paintings of each other. Leopold I of Belgium ends up enacting the engagement of Carlotta and Maximilian on December 31st, 1856. Because he was going to be getting married, Maximilian ended up getting a promotion within the Austrian Empire. Franz Joseph made him the governor of Lombardy, Venetia. As it so happened, Lombardy, Venetia was the region of the Austrian Empire that was dealing with the most unrest, bordering anarchy. And the Austrian Empire just happened to be super unpopular there. Maximilian, meanwhile, was known for being a bit more liberal politically, especially compared to Franz Joseph, who was much more stick than carrot. So there were hopes both from within Vienna and from within Lombardy, Venetia, that Maximilian would manage to appease the population. When Maximilian went to Italy to prepare for this new appointment, he met with the Pope, Pope Pius IX, who gave him an official blessing to rule. Then, in May 1857, Maximilian went to England and met with Queen Victoria. At first, she thought that he was a complete idiot, 
because Queen Victoria was not exactly the biggest fan of any of the Habsburgs. However, he quickly won over her husband, Prince Albert, and then ended up sitting next to her during one of her daughter's christenings and quickly won her over as well. Victoria ended up saying that Maximilian was basically English, which was the biggest compliment that Victoria could give anyone. Finally, in June 1857, Maximilian and Carlotta got married in Lacaine, Belgium. At the time of the wedding, Carlotta was 17 and Maximilian was 24. The couple then went to Vienna for their honeymoon so Carlotta could meet Maximilian's family and then moved to Venice so Max could start his new position as governor. However, things in Venice didn't exactly go great for Maximilian. As it turned out, the local Italians in the region were super nationalist and very much did not want an Austrian ruling them, even if said Austrian was more on the liberal side of things. On the way over to Venice, Carlotta got insulted by a group of Italians and Maximilian's more liberal politics extremely irritated Franz Joseph. Franz Joseph kept vetoing all of Max's ideas, which created a large split between the pretty between the previously friendly brothers. In 1858, tensions started to pick up in Venice and Lombardy. Maximilian had to send Carlotta back to Belgium for her own safety. And then the Italians in the region decided to declare revolution against the Austrians. Franz Joseph told Maximilian to use force against the Italians ASAP but Maximilian didn't want to because he still had capital R romantic sympathies towards the local Italians. Franz Joseph did not have time for his younger brother's nonsense. He sent in the army and declared martial law. He then put the Austrian army in charge of Lombardy and Venice, which meant that Maximilian was out of a job less than a year into it. Now that Maximilian was no longer in charge of Lombardy and Venice, he moved Carlotta to Trieste, where Maximilian had been busy buying land. The young couple had a plan to build a beautiful limestone castle there called Miramar, and they did that. The two were very focused on the design of Miramar's gardens because, as it turned out, both Maximilian and Carlotta loved garden design. They also were really into general interior design, especially designing hidden passageways in their brand new castle. Meanwhile, back in the Italian peninsula, Napoleon III decided to get involved, like I mentioned in his episode. He ended up taking the side of the Italian kingdom of Piedmont and Sardinia in a war against Austria, which meant that Austria ultimately had to give up Lombardy to Piedmont and Sardinia, so it probably was a good thing that Maximilian had gotten out while he did. After Austria's loss of Lombardy, Maximilian did seriously think about leaving Europe for good. 
he decided to head over to Brazil, which one of his cousins, Pedro, was ruling. When he went to Brazil, he left Carlotta behind in Portugal because, unlike her husband, she absolutely despised boats. During his time in Brazil, Maximilian had a great time. He really enjoyed getting to learn about the natural landscape, especially getting to learn about new plant species, because remember, Maximilian is a bit of a science nerd, but he didn't like that Brazil still had slavery, and he was especially disgusted with all the corruption built into the religious and political system. When Maximilian returned to Europe from Brazil, there wasn't a whole lot for him and Carlotta to do. The two returned to Miramar, they casually bought their own island, La Croma in Croatia, where Richard the Lionheart had lived, and started renovating said island, but they were bored. They wanted to do more. And luckily for them, they would get that opportunity. Because in 1861, Napoleon III of France offered the position of Emperor of Mexico to Maximilian. Napoleon did this for a few reasons. Partially, it was a sorry for kind of stealing Lombardy from your family. It was partially an attempt to improve the relationship between Austria and France to cement the Austrian-French alliance against the rising threat of Prussia. Part of it was because Napoleon was generally thinking about doing some sort of expedition to Mexico, and he needed some ally on the Mexican throne, and Maximilian was as good a guy as any. When Franz Joseph found out about Napoleon's scheming in terms of Mexico, he wasn't necessarily thrilled. Franz Joseph personally didn't trust Napoleon III, but he did like the idea of the Austrian Habsburgs getting more of an empire. Maximilian, meanwhile, was thrilled by the idea because he really liked the idea of getting to rule somewhere and he wanted him and his wife to be an emperor and an empress, independent of his big brother. Napoleon, meanwhile, wanted a friend in charge of Mexico because it would give France more silver, which then France could use to buy cotton from India because France could no longer buy cotton from the United States because we're in 1861, which means that pesky little American Civil War is going on. But what about Mexico? What's going on in Mexico? What do the Mexicans feel about all this? That's a good question. So let's do a very quick, and I mean extremely quick overview about what's going on in Mexico. Basically, Mexico had been independent since 1821 and a republic since 1824, although conservative monarchist feelings did technically exist. At the time, Mexico had been ruled by President Santa Ana, who basically was just a military strongman for decades. In 1848, we have the Mexican-American War, which I've covered in several of my Build Up to the American Civil War episodes, 
mostly the James Knox Polk and the Zachary Taylor episodes, and the Mexican-American War was a huge defeat for Mexico. As a result of the Mexican-American War, Mexico lost almost half of their land to the United States, and as a result, President Santa Ana was overthrown by the Mexican liberals, led by a man named Benito Juarez, who pushed through a new, more liberal constitution in Mexico. However, Benito Juarez's rise to power also led to a civil war between the liberal and conservative elements in Mexico, which basically is where we are now in 1861 when Napoleon III starts to get involved. In 1861, the Mexican government under Benito Juarez, who is dealing with all sorts of internal divisions among his allies, as well as this quasi-civil war, is having a lot of trouble paying back loans from France, which gives Napoleon a chance to start sending the French military to Mexico to try to get repayment on his loans. Normally, the United States would not let this happen, but the United States is a little bit too distracted by the Civil War to deal with this. In September 1861, Benito Juarez officially says, yeah, I am unable to pay back these loans. I'm really sorry. And Napoleon III says, okay, fine. It's time for me to take over your country and give it to my BFF, Maximilian. So in January 1862, the French army arrives in Mexico. And Spain and Great Britain also send some troops, not so much to help out Napoleon III, but more to also get back some payments that they were owed. However, it takes Napoleon III a lot longer to gain control of Mexico than expected. A large reason for this is because yellow fever exists and kills off a large number of his troops. Yellow fever is always going to exist, and it causes troubles for Napoleon III, much like it caused trouble for his uncle, Napoleon, in Haiti. Then there's the fact that Spain keeps trying to take over. After all, Mexico had once been a Spanish colony, and Spain clearly would like it back. Thank you very much. And then, of course, there's the whole fact that Mexico likes being an independent country. Thank you very much. Benito Juarez tells Mexican civilians to not work with the French army, which makes things pretty difficult for the French. The French army, frankly, did not plan for this invasion to take time, so they have very limited supply lines, no supplies, it's kind of a mess. Finally, in December 1862, the French army gets enough of a foothold that people do kind of start recognizing Maximilian's claim to the French, to the Mexican throne. His brother, Franz Joseph, formally recognizes that Maximilian is going to be emperor of Mexico. He tells Maximilian that he will give 
him some Austrian soldiers to help out. However, that never quite comes together for various political and familial reasons, which means that most of Maximilian's support in Mexico is going to be based on French army support, which means that Maximilian's success is always going to be reliant on Napoleon III actually caring, which is easier said than done. In June 1863, French troops finally capture Mexico City. On October 3rd, 1863, Maximilian is formally offered the throne of Mexico. He is 31 years old at the time, and he accepts it. Technically, Mexico does accept Maximilian to the throne via a referendum, but they are basically forced into accepting the referendum via the French army. This makes Maximilian really happy because he only wanted to accept the throne if the Mexican people had voted to give it to him, which they technically had, albeit at gunpoint. So, yay, Max. But after accepting the French, but after accepting the Mexican throne, Maximilian finds out that to take the throne of Mexico, he would have to give up his place in the Austrian succession. As a result of this, he does almost turn down the whole Mexican offer, but then Napoleon III forces him not to. Maximilian does end up sorting out the succession issue with his brother Franz Joseph. What ends up happening is Maximilian will not be in line to inherit the throne of Austria, but he will get a pretty sizable annual pension from the Austrians. But as it's going to turn out, spoiler alert, Maximilian won't really be around that long to need it. So Maximilian gets ready to head over to Mexico. Maximilian said that once he took the throne in Mexico, he would reduce the French presence in Mexico, as well as pay back the French government all the money that they were owed. However, as he was going to find, that was going to be easier said than done. Even though he was offered the throne in October 1863, Maximilian wouldn't actually arrive in the country until May 1864. He landed in Veracruz, which was mostly empty because most of the population was pro-Republican, and then he and Carlotta moved to Mexico City. Maximilian and Carlotta wanted to have a whole fancy coronation, but due to the political instability in the country, they never quite managed to have it. Their first order of business upon making it into Mexico City was to seriously renovate the royal palace, which was in terrible shape and had a serious bedbug infestation. The duo turned the royal palace into a pretty European building. As the new ruler of Mexico, Maximilian did try really hard. He did want to do a good job as emperor. He worked on learning local indigenous languages, remember he already did speak Spanish, and began teaching himself about local traditions. He made an effort to wear local clothing, and he made a big deal about celebrating Mexican Independence Day. In these attempts to reach out 
to the local population. Maximilian does kind of remind me of the way that Louis Bonaparte made an effort to speak Dutch and reach out to the Dutch population. However, Maximilian's attempts did not work at all. From the get-go, he had a super cold reception. Most of the Mexican population was extremely Republican, and there was a lot of warfare going on between the French forces, who were still in Mexico, and the pro-Juarez, pro-Republican Mexican locals. Maximilian does try to set up a new nonpartisan government. However, neither side in said government actually likes Maximilian all that much. The conservatives feel like he's way too liberal, much like his brother Franz Joseph had felt, while the liberals don't like the fact that Maximilian is partially responsible for getting rid of the Mexican Republic. Although some of the liberals do genuinely like him as a person, which is a trend that we see throughout Maximilian's reign in Mexico. Basically, whenever he visited a place, the people there did genuinely like him as a human being, even though they don't support the concept of him being in charge. Despite this, Maximilian does do some pretty big social reforms for Mexico. He gets rid of child labor and bans corporal punishment. He also improves living conditions for peasants. While Max is out dealing with the Republicans, Carlotta is going to rule as regent, and from all accounts, she does a pretty decent job of it. Yay, Carlotta. While all this is going on, the United States starts to get a little bit involved and isn't exactly happening and isn't exactly happy about the situation in Mexico. Napoleon III sticking a random Austrian on the throne of Mexico is a massive violation of the Monroe Doctrine. In case you fell asleep in the day of Apush that discussed James Monroe, the Monroe Doctrine essentially says that European powers are not supposed to meddle in the going-ons of independent Western Hemisphere countries such as Mexico. And putting an Austrian on the throne of Mexico is definitely meddling. However, the United States is a little bit too busy with the whole Civil War thing to fully intervene in Mexico for once in American history. However, the United States is going to refuse to recognize Maximilian and his government as legitimate, although most of Europe will recognize Maximilian as the legitimate ruler of Mexico, as will Brazil, weirdly enough. Pretty quickly, Maximilian is when you start having divisions with the few Mexican supporters he has. Most of these divisions are going to be around religion. Maximilian is Catholic, but he doesn't love how the Mexican church is set up. He feels like it is too corrupt and has too much power, so he's going to start trying to limit the power of the church within Mexico which leads to uprisings among the people who may otherwise have supported him. He also starts having tensions with the French over who is actually in charge of the army, 
which really isn't great because the French army is basically the only thing keeping Maximilian in power. While all this is going on, Maximilian and Carlotta have no children. I was unable to figure out why they didn't have children. They just don't. And Maximilian realizes that he needs someone to pass the throne of Mexico down to. And he chooses this kid, Augustine Diutube E. Green, as his heir. Augustine was the grandson of a guy who had briefly been emperor of Mexico in the 1820s. And the decision to have an heir makes most Mexican citizens extremely worried that Maximilian is trying to set up a quasi-European dynasty, which is even more unpopular than anything that Maximilian has done to date. And then, in the spring of 1865, the American Civil War ends which means that the United States can actually put a stop to all the nonsense going on on their southern border. The United States government starts to not so secretly send money, ammunition, and volunteer troops to the Republican side in Mexico. Pressure from the U.S. government also pushes Napoleon III to withdraw all French troops out of Mexico. This means that Maximilian is basically alone in Mexico with no military support. Once this happens, Napoleon pushes Max and Carlotta to leave Mexico and come back to Europe where they will, where they will be safe. Carlotta agrees and returns to Europe, but Maximilian says he will not leave Mexico. He refuses to back down. He says that as long as he has followers, he will fight for his throne. It doesn't go well. He quickly gets pushed out of Mexico City and ends up fleeing to the city of Querétaro in 1867 with around 8,000 followers. Maximilian and his followers do manage to survive a siege for a few weeks. They try to escape the city on May 11th, but the escape plan fails. Maximilian ends up getting captured on May 15th, 1867. He is court-martialed and sentenced to death. Maximilian's followers do have a plan to have him escape, but this plan quickly falls through because Maximilian refuses to shave his beard because shaving his beard would ruin his dignity. And I'm sorry, Maximilian, that is extremely stupid. Shave your goddamn beard it will grow back. Maximilian ends up being executed by firing squad on May 19th, 1867 at 34 years old. He gives each member of the firing squad a gold coin to not shoot him in the head so he'll be recognizable to his family. His last words are, Viva la Mexico, Viva la Independencia. His body is not returned to Austria until 1868. After Maximilian's death, Carlotta has a bit of an emotional breakdown. She refused to believe that he was dead, but she also had some other mental problems. For example, she was convinced that she was going to be poisoned and insisted that a cat try all of her food before she would eat it. Carlotta ended up dying in 1927 of the flu. So, 
For those fans of the study guide who prefer bullet points to a full-on lecture, let's do a quick recap of the life and tragic end of Maximilian I and only of Mexico. Maximilian was born in July 1832 as Ferdinand Maximilian Joseph. His parents were Archduke Franz Karl of Austria and Princess Sophie of Bavaria. His father was the second son of Austrian Emperor Francis I. While his parents didn't exactly have the world's greatest relationship, Maximilian was an extremely well-educated child who was interested in a wide variety of topics, including languages, botany, butterflies, sports, and the arts. As a child, he was super outgoing, he loved playing practical jokes, and he was a capital R romantic. He was also extremely competitive with his older brother, Franz Joseph, who was second in line for the throne of Austria. In 1848, when Maximilian was 16, revolutions started breaking out across Europe and quickly hit Austria. As a result of these revolutions, Maximilian's older brother, Franz Joseph, replaced their uncle, Ferdinand of Austria, as emperor. While this was very exciting for the family, it did cause some tension between the brothers because Maximilian felt that Franz Joseph was maybe a little too harsh in putting down the revolution. After Franz Joseph became emperor, Maximilian began serving for the Austrian state in a variety of diplomatic and naval positions, doing a fairly competent job, all nepotism considered. In 1856, he got sent first to France and then to Belgium in a variety of diplomatic positions. In France, he met with Napoleon III, who he started out hating, but then grew to respect, especially when it came to Napoleon III's ideas of making an alliance against Prussia. In Belgium, Maximilian met and quickly fell in love with the king's daughter, Carlotta. In 1857, the two got married. After their marriage, Maximilian got promoted to be the governor of Venice Lombardy. Venice Lombardy was the most chaotic region of the Austrian Empire because the Italians who lived in said region did not want to be part of Austria anymore. While Maximilian was sympathetic to their plight, Franz Joseph was most definitely not. Maximilian ended up being kicked out of the governorship for not doing a good enough job at putting down rebellions in the region, and he and Carlotta ended up moving to Trieste and attempting to do their own thing. Eventually, in 1861, Maximilian reconnected with Napoleon III, who had a brand new gig for his old friend, being emperor of Mexico, so that France could have an easy supply of silver with which France could buy cotton. Maximilian wanted to rule somewhere, so he agreed. And in 1864, Maximilian and Carlotta ended up moving to Mexico. As it turned out, this was not Maximilian's best life choice because the people of Mexico did not want to be ruled by a random Austrian. They had been very happy being an independent republic 
Thank you very much. As soon as Maximilian landed in Mexico, rebellions against him basically broke out. Maximilian did attempt to do a good job ruling. He pushed through a bunch of liberal social reforms, but no one on either side of the aisle liked him. After the American Civil War ended and the United States was able to turn their attention down south, they convinced Napoleon III to withdraw his troops that were supporting Maximilian out of the country. And after that, it was really only a matter of time before Maximilian's reign in Mexico collapsed. And collapse it did. In 1867, Maximilian got pushed out of Mexico City and he ended up getting captured by Republicans in May 1867 and executed by firing squad at the age of 34. So that is the life of Maximilian. I am sympathetic towards him. He seems like a really nice guy, just not the brightest and not the most capable of ruling, but I don't think he was actively bad, unlike so many of the people I have covered on this podcast. My sources for today's study guide were Heidi Merkin's article on Maximilian, Emma McCallan's article on Maximilian and Carlotta, Follet's New York Times article on Maximilian, and Jay Kemper's book, Maximilian in Mexico. As always, for a full bibliography and relevant images on today's study guide, you can visit the website at sadgirlstudyguides.com. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email the podcast at sadgirlstudyguides.com. I'll be releasing a tangent cast on Patreon for patrons at $5 a month level or more a month. This week, it's going to be covering Maximilian's wife, the tragic Carlotta. Since this is the last episode on Napoleon Bonaparte's wild family and their friends, next week I'm going to be beginning a new series about the women of the War of the Roses, starting with the matriarch, Catherine Swineford. Until then, you can reach out to me on social media. There's the Twitter, Sad Girl Study Pod, and the Instagram for the memes. I know I'm behind, but I promise I will be posting new memes at Sad Girl Study. The best way to help the podcast grow is tell a friend or subscribe. We're on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and Spotify. And please let me know how I'm doing. Rate or review or else I'll be sad. Thanks.